Psychology in Seattle. So, Umberto, have you seen The Boys on TV or whatever the streaming service is? Have you seen the TV show called The Boys? I have. Did you like it? I I did. <laughs> You've also read the comics, have you not? I have. <laughs> you also, uh, a while ago, thought you had bought the first uh, issue of The Boys, thinking that like it would... in mint condition kind of thing, yeah, framed and, and everything. And it was going to be like a, you know, a collector's item, but then... Yes. Uh, you after the TV show came out, you went and looked for it and found out that you, in fact, had not bought it. That either I hadn't or I've somehow misplaced it. And now it's like... Well, it's gone up in value. It, it like probably at least doubled, maybe tripled by now. So I thought we would talk about the psychology of the boys in both the TV show and the comic book. What do you say? I love it. Comics, comic Comic, uh, comic. The graphic novel, yes. Oh, it's a graphic novel? It's a graphic novel. But wasn't it originally just like a comic? So when comics are for man-childs, we call them graphic novels. Ah. This is the Psychology uh, in Seattle podcast for man-childs. I am your man-child, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor and a man-child. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda. And so you know how sometimes people get tattoos that they don't like? Yeah. And then they go and have them removed. Yeah. Well, I do the same, but for T-shirts. Ah. So let's talk about the psychology. So I have an outline here, and let's try to stick to you know the topic because I got a lot of different areas that I want to get into. First that I want to get into is Homelander. Sweet. The psychology of Homelander. He was the standout in the show as far as I'm concerned. Really? Yeah, like as far as the the actors and how close they got to him – Based on the comic and and just the coolest scenes and things like that, I, I I think Homelander takes the cake for me. Yeah, the primary psychological thing that I can point to with regards to Homelander is that we find out in the TV show, and we'll just stick to the TV show. And if you want to drop in every sure. once in a while, the accuracy to the comics do so. But I think ninety nine percent of the people who are going to listen to this are going to be. TV. Almost no one has read the graphic novel. Yeah. Like, I, I went online on YouTube and stuff. I was trying to find comparisons and things because I have very strong opinions. And almost every review I found was like, so I didn't realize that there was a comic book until after I saw the movie. and So stuff like that. The one video I could find was actually pointing out, like, what things were better about the TV show than the, than the comic book. So, yeah, I'm aware that, for the most part, no one has heard of the comic book. So feel free to sprinkle it in every now and then, but let's stick to the TV show. So Homelander, the most important psychological thing that we can turn to is his massive attachment issues as a result of being raised in a lab with no parents, seemingly since he was born. Yep. He grows up in a lab, and just imagine that, and they show that pretty well. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about the show that I think is is really great. And I think one of the things that's really great about new streaming TV shows is that in the, back in the day, they would they had 35 episodes a year they had to fill. Yeah. And they really took their time. And so there's pros and cons to that. But I have so many shows I want to watch. Mm-hmm. I only have so much time. And so The Boys is is eight episodes it's like eight hours it's like a maybe a nine ten hour movie or something right. oh for those who you don't know the boys is a uh it was a comic back in the 90s or something no no no. it was 2000 2006 oh okay yeah well 
it's almost it was post nine eleven, and that was very relevant to the story. Okay, and it was by a British uh, comic book artist, and the comic is definitely for adults. Oh yeah, got a lot of X rated, R rated stuff in like it. Adult adults, yeah. <laughs> And the look of it is kind of like R. Crumb oriented in the beginning anyway. It, it had a very 70s, uh, not your quintessential comic book look to it. Yeah, they're not, um, it, if it, they're not polished looking people. You know, they're, it's kind of grimy in a way. But very artistic. I mean, each sure. frame, I yeah. looked at some of the original artwork and it yeah. was just really great. Yeah. Um, and essentially what the the whole story is, because some people listen to our episodes and they haven't consumed a thing we're talking right. about. So so it's a it's an eight-episode thing on Amazon Prime that is a world in which they have superheroes who live amongst us in the way that you've seen all – but it's completely different from any other superhero uh, product that we've seen recently. I mean I guess you could say it was. it would be kind of like the – uh, what was the um, Wolverine movie called? Oh yeah, uh, Old Man Logan. Yeah. Whatever. What was no? What was that movie called? Logan. Uh, oh, Logan. Right. Yeah. Um, in that, the the superheroes are real human beings. They're not these um, one dimensional, all good, right. simplistic characters. In fact, they're enormously human, and they have insecurities and. They might sexually harass people at work. Yeah. They might uh, have sex lives. And they're not aliens or robots or magical creatures. They are humans. Right. Yeah. And they are insecure and they want to be famous and they worry about movie contracts and they movie about they worry about their image and they have yeah. corporations that that take care of them and advertisers and agents. And people who handle their Twitter accounts, mm-hmm. and, and fans, and fans, people that hate them, that and spin, and and they're involved in <clears throat> politics, and their power grabs, and there's just all this kind of stuff. And so, in this world, the main superheroes, anyway, if not all of them, are essentially contracted to this one organization called VOT, which is like, think of it as like the Apple of superheroes yeah they're the best they have all the best people they know how to they're or think of it as like the marvel cinematic universe yeah if you know you think about all the marketing that goes in all the advertising the product placement the spin everything and movie deals and everything except it's in the real world and and we should point out that most of the heroes like probably 99 percent of them are have kind of Basic superpowers, and only they're only a little more powerful than a normal human. Uh, it varies, but but then there's a very small subset of them that are ridiculously overpowered, right? And they're kind of their their main ones, right? So so with Homelander, and the, as the story as the season progresses, we start learning more and more about the backstory of these of these individuals, and what we learn is that the way that uh, and. I guess we're going to spoil the entire Spoiler show. alert. We got to spoil some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So... And spoiler alert for the comic because I'll have to mention some things. Yeah. So what we learn in the beginning or later on in the season of the eight episodes is that 
because uh, it's believed and it's spun that the superheroes are born that way. Right. They're it's like from God or something. Yeah, they're it's divine in- intervention. Yeah. We don't. Th- that was another thing I sort of liked was the economy of the backstory. They didn't go into a lot. They right. just gave just enough. But the impression was that yeah, pe- people can. It, because that's how Vought, the organization, spun it was that Homelander, for example, grew up an all-American boy. Right. The, the Superman story. It is. Except that he didn't arrive in an aircraft or in a spacecraft. Other than that, it's the Superman story. Right. And, and in fact, the, the main seven, as they call them, they're very much a Justice League kind of situation. They have right. their Superman, their Batman, their Wonder Woman, their Aquaman. Oh, I didn't realize Flash. that that one guy sort of like their Batman. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Right. They have a Wonder Woman, a Flash, a Superman, an Aquaman, and Justice League never had an Invisible Man. Not in the no, not that I remember. I mean, do you remember the expanded, the extended universe uh, Justice League that had like the Growing Man, and they had the Hawk, yeah, Hawkeye or Wait, Hawk, not Hawk, Hawkman. That's not and, extended. That's that's canon. Sure, but I that mean, was like the cartoon when the 70s. yeah, but but I'm saying like there was there was the core group of them, and then mostly it included and it. And you might include the Wonder Twins if you're feeling lucky that day. But, but anyways, yeah, this one, it just has seven. And I guess one of them was uh, an invisible one, yes. Yeah, so we learned that Homelander was not, in fact, uh, raised in an all-American farmhouse right. and played baseball and his mom made pie, but that he was actually snatched from his parents, which whom we never learn about. Maybe he was an orphan or we just don't know. But he was raised in a lab, very cold lab, and given this compound V substance yep. to uh, inspire. And the idea is, is that when you give it to humans, this this substance that we don't know where it came from, that it is random in terms of what sort of superpowers exist, and it also can kill people. It, bad things can happen. Like you could maybe by implication they're saying like with this compound v stuff you could get the superpower to blow yourself up right who knows how many babies died in the process right right so he's raised in a lab no parents and the we have real life examples of this i've treated people like this not you know exactly but the attachment situation is the same in that the individual is raised in a institution or they're even in a bubble because of risk of infection because of a medical condition that they have. Mm-hmm. And so by function, they don't have a consistent caregiver like you would find in a home zero to 12 months right. where it's one or two people, maybe three or four, but definitely one person who is there a lot holding noticing, feeding, cleaning, changing diapers, uh, sleeping next to, waking up, putting to bed, waking up, playing with toys, face-to-face contact. One particular person becomes particularly important as we go into month five, six, seven. That's when we, as humans, we really start to lock into particular individuals. And like the touch too, right? Like just just being held. Right. Yeah. Right. So some babies grow up in... Uh, you know, incubators. I don't know the exact, you know, ICU kind of situations. Yeah. Um, actually, they call it NICU. Um, uh, and the um, there's no, and they'll now we know at 2019 we know 
you got to get you got to take that baby out you got to hold it right. even if it does risk some level of infection they they need some physical mm-hmm. human touch and so homelander doesn't get any of that in fact they sh- they have that one scene where he's he's i forget how but he's still very very little and he's sitting there on the ground looking up and through a window and the main scientist is kind of making little peekaboo things at him but through a big do- padded door and a thing and yeah it's like <laughs> It's less than you would with an animal, you know? Right. Yeah, they very, very uh, economically showed in probably 30 seconds what must have been Homelander's childhood. So when we have kids like this that grow up like this, there's there's some universal uh, reactions. One is that difficulty uh, uh, regulating your emotions, difficulty even knowing who you are, difficulty managing trust in relationships, Um, not necessarily having connection to the part of you that really cares about connecting with other human beings. It's not that you don't have empathy. It's not like you're a psychopath. But long ago, like month eight, month nine, you – I mean if you think – when you look back at when you were 12, that time seemed to go really slowly. Hmm. Well, ratchet that back to when you were eight months old. Oh, yeah. Every hour was an eternity. And every hour of you being neglected and alone was a long, an eternity of time to okay. think about why is it that I am not getting what I really want, which is that one person to hold me and hug me and be with me all the time. Why is that not happening? And the conclusions that you make subconsciously are there's something wrong with me and or there's something wrong with other people and or there is really no love in the world. There, there's just there's – just, there's, not, there's not a thing called love. There's not a thing called attachment. This is all subconscious and I'm sort of simplifying it. But I've worked with attachment injured people before and their families and one of the things that you'll hear that the parents will say is that the – their relationship with the kids will be very distressing because the parents will be trying to get some kind of connection with the kid. Yeah. And the kid will have glimpses of connection to the parents. But but there will be very frequent moments where the parents are like, I feel like this kid could live anywhere and be the same. Mm. They could live next door. They could live with my grandparents. They could live with another foster home. They could live with me. And it's like they there's no difference to them. Like they're not having a – they feel they're not even having an effect one way or another. Right. Like the kid yeah. considers them the way that if you had a boarder move into your house or an Airbnb person uh, and it's a 35-year-old traveling salesman, you know, they're nice. Yeah. Uh, and they might be respectful, but, you know, they could take you or leave you. It's like yeah. you're, you're just like your chopped liver. Or a and, cat. <laughs> yeah. And there you are as a parent – just pouring your love and, and maybe you even adopted this kid when the kid was two, three or four, but the damage is already done. Mm. And so you, you've tried, you're trying to connect and your whole life, you're just never really connecting yeah. with that kid. And parents end up uh, beating themselves up or thinking that the kid has something wrong with them, mentally ill or something, or that they just need to try harder. And the fact is, is that that window might have passed. Now, it doesn't mean that the kid can't love, doesn't mean the kid can't find some way of connecting because they, they do, but it, it's usually often at a, at a, 
an impairment kind of. It's oh, always man. at least slightly impaired. So Homelander exhibits this in that. Well, how do you think he exhibits this in this show? Oh, uh, and by the way, the that part of it is the same in the comic books as that they they grab these babies and they they do these things. Um, and so you see the same kind of behaviors in the comic book for Homelander. I I would call it you know that sort of psychopathic kind of tendency of he he will be as superficially glib and charming as possible in the right circumstances, but as soon as the camera is off or, or someone's not looking, his demeanor changes in a in a subsecond to this kind of like. Why am I even being bothered with this kind of thing? And he doesn't seem to really understand. Like he actually is obviously very smart. So he gets the gravity of a situation like when they're in the airplane, for example. But he he has no feeling beyond that. It's not like, well, man, this is really such a tragedy. It's more like, well, we got to go. You know, it's just matter of fact. But what about all the people? What am I supposed to do? Well, I can't do anything. Right. (laughs) Like. Because what do you want from me? <laughs> right, that's that part of it that when he was very young, he had a just a normal need for a connection, for love, for being held, for security, and repeatedly, second by second by second, it wasn't being met. And so the solution uh, neuronally is for the brain to turn off a certain, you know, we. The, the way to look at brain development is – one of the ways to look at brain development is that we're born with a lot of connections. Um, and as we develop through our early years, we pare down to the connections that are used, which yeah. are the ones that are important. It's why one of the hypotheses around language is that we're born with the ability to say all vocalizations. Like we're, we're born with the ability to speak Chinese. As, as you know, mechanically, uh, yeah, yeah, mechanically, we can say the the syllables and uh, and we can say all the syllables uh, around the planet and it's all jumbled up and meaningless. And as we develop our accent and our local uh, way of talking, we get we lose certain connections and ability to hear and actually right. articulate certain kinds of vocalizations because we're not using them. So and, what's your Hypothesis then why I retained kitty speak as an ability. Oh God, don't even go into that. <laughs> I was listening back to the eleventh and I was I had to turn it off. I'm no joke. Like save that for very limit I'll Do you know that I posted three yes, kitty and I don't wanna hear I don't wanna talk about it. So let's just move I on. I have a fan base. <laughs> I know. And I'm grateful for that connection with That's hilarious. Some sort of weird listener, but that will not happen right now. <laughs> Um, if you if you had compound V, that would be well. We'll talk about that anyway. So so the so one way of looking at Homelander and people like him is that we are born with the connect with the neurons to facilitate connection with other people, notice other people's feelings, to be sensitive to other people, to mentalize what's going on in that person's mind to care about other human beings, to care about their well-being, to feel in our souls, in our body, 
the emotions that other people go through. You know, that's what cringing is. When we're watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and <laughs> we're cringing, it's because we are feeling a feeling that the character is feeling. And it's not just an emotional thing, but it's a it's a bodily, which right. is you know, it is emotions. We're we're cringing, or when you're watching a horror movie and you know someone's getting hurt and you you sort of wince and you might even feel the pain in your body or you start sweating. These are our ability to mentalize, our ability yeah. to empathize what's going on, and it's not just an intellectual thing; it's a right. physical thing. It's not. It's not just you're watching Curb Your Enthusiasm as an example, and you go, oh. I should cringe right now. Right. It's actually the other way around. Yeah. You start cringing and then you're like, oh, I'm cringing. Right. You realize it after the fact. As opposed to someone that's very skilled at, that did develop other skills, like in the case of the Homelander, clearly he is a master uh, actor slash manipulator because he can, he can be like, okay, right now I need to appear as if I'm very emotional about my, where I grew up. And then my mom and then my, my little, little league practice and he does a great job. But he's feeling none of it, right? He's just telling himself, "Okay, now I should probably try to cry a little bit," you know. Right, and just um, <laughs> and I agree that the performance in that character in the TV show is amazing. That character is on the show acting like Homelander, acting like he grew up in yeah. on a farm. Yeah, it's and, great. <laughs> and the, the on a dime, you know, like he's like, "Are we rolling? Are we rolling?" And they're like, "Okay, we're rolling." And he and he, you know, put on the smile. Yeah. And anyway, so he. It, did you know one way of looking at his development and people like him is that all those neurons that are can, that are associated with our ability to empathize and care were pruned down as a result of them not really being used and needed when he was growing up and therefore when he uh, exhibits behaviors in adult it's not so I want to be clear about Homelander is that he's not an he's not a he has psychopathic traits but he's not. He's not like people – one of the things that I think people are mistaking Homelander for is that he is like um, like Charles Manson or you know, a, some kind of psycho killer of some kind. And certainly he has, he's been responsible for killing a lot of people. And in, uh, and in the comic book, although I got to now be careful what I say because I don't know what they're going to do in the future. So, so I'm going to say this. In the comic book – there are clear examples, even in the very first graphic novel ser- uh, book, where it's actually worse than that. Where you're like, right. oh, it is a Dahmer. It is a Ted Bundy. Right. It is this kind of thing. And I heard that. Maybe you told me. And I, I like the fact that they didn't do that because the Homelander character, I would lose all interest in that character if he was a Dahmer or a Ted Bundy character to me. Now, I'm I, guessing I, in the graphic novel, it would make it interesting. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'll say. I'll say I totally understand what you're saying and totally agree. Uh, they, they decided probably because they might have not even known they were going to have more seasons or whatever. They de- definitely decided to change some key parts of the story. And I'm very curious if they're going to try to reintegrate some of it. But what I'll say is that there are aspects that make it totally enjoyable in its own way. In the graphic novel, that he that you see these scenes of oh. craziness, yeah, yeah. I mean, my impression is the graphic novels are quite long and extensive. Yeah, and there's twelve, twelve books. Yeah, you know? like so. Yet, the, you know, one thing they have done in this show is they even in season one they kind of pulled in storylines that went went well into 
like it wasn't just like the first book. They they actually pulled into stuff and then they ignored whole swaths of other stuff, which of course you you kind of have to do. Uh, I later I'll get to. There's one main thing that is really actually bugging me about what they did, but it has nothing to do with Homelander. Yeah. We'll so, get into our likes and yeah, dislikes. Yeah. So we see that Homelander is desperate for Elizabeth Shue's love, and it's connected also to, you know, so he's a grown man now, so it's not just that he wants her love as a mother, but he also wants her love as a a wife or a sexual partner. And it's depicted in the show, again, the, the economy of the scenes and the writing is so great because they only have... Homelander arguably is a very secondary character uh, to Huey and Butcher and even Elizabeth Shue. And yet they manage to show, you know, episode to episode, this progression from Homelander being, uh, you know, you just sense the pent up tension in his body of just like, I want to be close to Elizabeth Shue. She is, you know, she is uh, uh, milking her. Uh, she's mm-hmm. what do they call pumping? Pumping. She's pumping, yeah. and she and she has a baby now, and and I want to be that baby. And you know, you, at the beginning, you don't really get a sense for that, but as this as the season go on, goes on, you're just like, oh, I think he, because at, at first you're like, oh, he's just really obsessed with her, and then I was like, oh no, he wants to be his her baby. He's jealous of the baby, right? He he's and he comes across like a impertinent older brother to the new baby yeah. and the way that they intertwined his ultimate power and and adult side of himself with his very infantile very childish oh, yeah. very boyish desperate uh, uh behavior and so uh and seen through that those eyes it explains everything so right. for example when he decides to blow up the mayor's or the politician from Baltimore, I think it was a mayor. Oh uh, yeah, it's the mayor. The airplane, right? He, you could imagine, say a four-year-old kid, if he had the power, would jealously decide to do something like that. If yeah. someone was threatening and they threatening their mother, and they wanted to be a good boy. You know, I'm trying to be a good boy for for mommy, and I want her to love me in comparison to my little brother. So I got to really make a splash here. And so, okay, that man was threatening my mom, or at least I'm perceiving that. And so I want to be a good boy. So I'm going to slash his tires because I saw that on a TV show. Like you could see a four-year-old maybe not pulling it off all the way, but you could see them having an impulse. Totally, yeah. And so you put ultimate power into this four-year-old that's the other way of looking at homelander is that he's arrested development which is a way of of looking at a lot of people is that if you're not properly parented at a certain age a certain part of your personality is still of that mindset right where you're desperate for love you don't really think things through you're totally focused on that one person yep you're not focused on other people, you're not focused on even your siblings. You're not focused on society. Or you don't really care how, how you look. You're just focused on, I want to be, I want mommy to love me. I want mommy to like me. And so 
in the beginning, you're like, oh boy, like Homelander is a psychopath. But as a, as the season goes on, you're like, oh no, no, he's just a he's a four year old boy trying to get the love of his mom. Did right. did you like that? Yeah, yeah. So um, this part was not in the comic book. There was no uh, Elizabeth Shue's character in the comic book. Is sorry, the graphic novel. Um, at least. Again, I don't know what they're going to do, but it, it, it starts with a guy. There's this one guy who's in charge of them. He's, uh, you know, he's this very cold, calculating dude. There is a female that comes in later in the story, but uh, there is no no sort of relationship like that. Uh, so you don't see those aspects. I, I really thought that it was great. They did it really well, and like you're saying, yeah, I got the same sense. Like, yeah, this is this little kid, this little kid who's been given Superman powers. Uh, I haven't seen Brightburn, but I'm imagining there were that there was that movie Brightburn, isn't it called? Brightburn? Isn't it called Brightburn? Or the, Bright? No, no. Recent movie where it's like a kid like Superman, but he and he's got superpowers, like he's an alien with superpowers, but huh. he's evil or something. I haven't heard Anyways, of um so yeah, I thought the same and I, I liked that that angle they took. I, I one thing that I'll say too is that he uh, that you know the scene in the airplane where they they're trying to save this airplane, and yeah. they screw it up. Basically, they can't. Yeah, I love it. that scene. So, in the graphic novel, it's an even more important thing because it's nine eleven. Nine eleven is happening. These planes are headed, you know, and then the air force has already it, blown up one of the planes. So it's the Pennsylvania one or something. Um, it's actually the one going to those, towards the towers. Oh. It's one going towards the towers. The Air Force has blown up one of the planes already, killed everyone on board. So it's tragic, but they're like, we can't risk whatever. And then they call in the seven to see if they can stop the other one, save the other one. And then they go, and then all, they're all trying to work together. And in a Justice League thing, they, you would have seen how well they work together. And then the Flash does this, and Batman does this, and Superman does. Here, it's a comedy of errors, worse than... It's kind of what happened in the show, but even more because all of them are trying to do it, and they're all screwing up worse, and Homelander's making the worst mistakes. Like, even when they arrive at the airplane, there's this little kid, like, on the on the little window of the door going, yay, it's Homelander! And Homelander rips the door open, not realizing that by doing that, the kid's going to fly out straight, stuff like that. And then he's trying to, he's trying to correct the path of the airplane. But he d- doesn't calculate his speed, so he takes off the whole half of the airplane. And eventually, they do manage to make it so it doesn't crash into the towers. But instead, it crashes into the Brooklyn Bridge and essentially destroys the Brooklyn Bridge. And that was the 9-11 story in that universe. But the Vought guys covered it all up. Right. So in there, you see, like, imagine a four-year-old told, hey, go save these people. Right. right? It's a similar thing. So it's not only about, like, him being rageful. It's also about, like, he actually is not capable of of being a good planner in all these things you know <laughs> right and you see that that he he loves to use his laser beams because it's and i love that too because when you think about superman yeah and all the things he can do why would he ever fight with people when he could just laser them right yeah I, I always wonder that it's like so he can can't he turn invisible too in some universe? No, well, maybe in some universe, but in general, he can move so fast as to as to be invisible. Right, he he can move super fast. He can use He's laser beams as fast as the Flash. Right, so <laughs> why would he bother with trying to manhandle you when he could just <laughs> incinerate you with his with his eyeballs? Right, or <laughs> if a if a missile is coming, why would he bother with trying to? 
Right. right why right. would you just laser it? Laser it. And you <laughs> see that with Homelander. He's just, he's just always lasering everything. And, and in fact, that's a great point because, again, he shows up to that uh, terrorist cell. Now, you, you don't see any good planning from his part. He literally just shows up. He's like, all right, uh, you're the real heroes. And then he walks in and all he has got to do, he's not trying to avoid being shot. He's not anything. He's just walking through lasering everyone. Yeah. Which I guess, but it just shows that he, he's not a, a high functioning planner, like a mature, you know, calm planner and stuff. Right. He's really just operating out of impulse more than anything. Right. So the, we see him that as Elizabeth Shue starts to reject him because she doesn't really see him as an equal, I think. I think she sees him like what he is, which is yeah. a, like a child. And she has a job to do, and she just thinks of him as a, as a co-worker. And she is scared of him. And she's scared of him, but not necessarily initially. She's mainly just like, look, you're a co-worker. It's my job when I'm at work to put on a good show for everyone. We also get a, a look into her psychology very briefly. She says she moved around a lot as a kid, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that means. You know, it could mean a lot of different things. But it looks like Elizabeth Shue, also her character, Madeline, I believe her character name is, it has some kind of psychological issue as well. She's very driven to succeed at the business, um, which isn't unusual for people to be like. But you, you don't really see a lot of love in her life. She doesn't seem to have any friends or a romantic partner. Well, and I think we can trace it to where it started. Because if she had stayed with Daniel, Daniel's son, then she wouldn't have ran off with a football player and wouldn't have had a heartbreak that would have triggered all these, you know lame things to happen to her. But Daniel did go to Japan and fall in love That's with, true. you know. Um, so he had his own good story. Yeah. <laughs> which then ended by the third movie. <laughs> well, now it's on YouTube. YouTube again. Oh, I still haven't seen it. I, yeah. I gotta watch the... Um, I wonder if she shows up. I, I doubt it. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and then she became a sex worker in <laughs> Las Vegas. And then it really It's a tumultuous became... life. Yeah. She's like... Her hair is fantastic still, though. Yes. <laughs> she, she's always had just fantastic voluminous yep. <laughs> blonde hair. So so when Elizabeth Shue so to people like me and Umberto's age, Elizabeth Shue is like quite something, you know, yes. because she was she was the the girlfriend in a lot of different imp- <laughs> yeah. like uh the adventures at babysitting. Yep, yep, yep. Um anyway. And she was in Back to the Future. Like the original. She, right? No, she was the replacement. Oh, she was the replacement. Yeah, she oh, was okay. in Back to the Future 2. Oh, okay. And 3, therefore, yeah. So Elizabeth Shue rejects him, I, I think, because she also has attachment issues. But she's at work, and she's very driven to, to, to do well at work. And she's a very, very uh, adept corporate person. Right. <laughs> she, and, and, in fact, she's kind of – well, not kind of. She is using Homelander to advance her career. Right. Yeah. Which everyone's doing at that yeah. business, including including Homelander to yeah. some extent. But Homelander is solely focused. He wants a mommy, and he deserves a mommy, but yeah. he's not going to get a mommy. Uh, and when Elizabeth Shue rejects him, we see in the next scene, yeah. Homelander goes back to Queen Ma- Maeve uh-huh. to, uh, you know, like we see this kind of weird where he's like suddenly trying to hit on her again. And, and she's like, where is this coming from? And we see that he was controlling and abusive. So now we're in the past with Queen Maeve. Yeah. See, with Elizabeth Shue, he's stalkery and obsessive and boundary. And at one point she just says, Homelander, 
we need boundaries. <laughs> but we see him turn back to Queen Maeve, and Queen Maeve is more of an equal in terms of age and the way he sees her. And so – And powers. And powers. Not exactly, but close. Yeah. And so he – we get this glimpse into their past relationship in the TV show universe anyway in which – it's implied that Homelander was very controlling and abusive to Queen Maeve back then. And this is an example of someone getting into the preoccupied attachment style where – or dis- disorganized slash preoccupied where you are desperate for attachment and security. You don't really trust other people and you actually don't believe that people are going to love you just innately. And so you believe you have to control other people and you're very hurt by – even hints of rejection, even if it's not actual rejection. And you do a lot of different behaviors to try to get the other person to be close to you. And if none of those things work, then you resort to, you know, desperation, which can be very controlling and very abusive, which they show Homelander um, doing with with Queen Maeve. Uh, Is it like that in the comic? So in the comic, Queen Maeve uh, is also, as far as we know in the beginning of the comic, the second most powerful one and she is an alcoholic and you get the sense and she pretty much explains it over time that she's been sexually harassed heavily since she joined the team until probably she exerted enough power over some of them uh, but uh, like in, in the comic when what's the gal the starlight yeah when she joins uh, it's not the Aquaman dude it's Homelander Black Noir and A-Train, all of them have uh, sexually harassed her right off the bat. And that's the sense you got that Queen Maeve had the same kind of treatment for a long time when she joined. And so she's well past jaded and hurt and abused. But she's also very, very powerful. So they're like no longer mess with her, but she's a total wreck emotionally. So it's very similar. I don't quite remember if the two of them had had a relationship. It's quite possible. I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I read all of it. So yeah. if uh, – so we see that uh, they had a past relationship and, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So we also see that with Homelander that no one really loves him. They right. love his persona. They love what he can do. And there's no real connection. So he, even in his desperation, he's not – you know, the, the only sort of real love that he gets is through the fans. Right. And that can only be done uh, in big crowds. Like, he can't actually go to those people and say, well, can you be my mommy? Because they're going to be like, huh? So he has to be like this Jesus character, like at the at the religious, yeah. ser- you know, uh, fair. He's like, I will be your Jesus. And anyway. and, and his uh, co-workers definitely fear him. But that's it. Yeah. It, I it's not they, even clear they respect they res- him. They re- well, they quote unquote respect him and talk to him only because they think he's gonna, right. he's going to kill him. That's the thing is, it's not even clear that they respect, as in well, but he is pretty bad. And it's like not even that. It's more like well, I don't want to die. <laughs> I just don't want to die. <laughs> right. And then at the end, we see he kills both of his parents. Essentially, he kills his dad and the doctor, and he kills his mommy, which is yeah. Elizabeth Shue, which. Obviously, people with disorganized and preoccupied attachment don't do, uh, at least, you know, um, not in a not as a symptom of their issue. But it is interesting that that's the poetic arc of his story, that he yeah. it, he resolves to compensate for his pain by killing those who uh, refused or 
wouldn't yeah. or weren't able to give him the parental love that he deserved. It's a brutal scene. Yeah. Although I also was wondering, he must have the ability to graduate how much laser he puts out. Because yeah. otherwise, because in some scenes, the thing cuts through anything like yeah. immediately versus here was like burning in for a bit. Right, right, right. Exactly. I, thought, I thought the yeah. same thing. So uh, the last little thing I'll say about Homelander is that during the airplane scene, uh, if you look at it one way, it's just like, oh, he's a psychopath. He doesn't really care about anything. But in that moment, the way that – so I, people also were the same way about – and we're interpreting Cersei from Game of Thrones in a similar way. Oh, Cersei is a psychopath. She's a monster. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, no, no, no. Like she's a woman in a man's world. She loves her kids. She has very real threats based on the fact that these kids are from her twin brother and not the king yeah. whom she's married to. And her the only way to get power in this world is to be like king and queen or at least close to that situation. Yeah. And the way you get there is by you know killing or screwing Being other. Ruthless. And that's the way everyone's playing the game. Yeah. And all she really wants is for her kids to be safe, and she needs to be safe in order to protect her kids. And uh, yeah, for example, she wasn't the one trying to fully murder Sean Bean, right? Right? Like she was actually like, "Oh, don't kill!" Ah, oh. yeah, you know, <laughs> right? She wasn't saying like, "Let's kill everyone." She was like, "We need, we need power. We need to yeah. be careful because if we don't have power." then the rumors will start to crop up about my kids, which yeah. will get all of us killed. I mean, that was a real thing. They didn't really depict that. Like, the king would have killed Cersei and the three kids. Right. Like, it would have been, oh, they're all dead. These are all Jamie's kids. My my wife has been having sex yeah, with like Jamie. everyone is dead in this situation. Yeah. Except the king. <laughs> and, and that would have been, that's normal justice. No, yeah. no one would have been like, oh. They would have been like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's, it'd be like the, today when someone kills someone they go to jail for for life it's like oh yeah that's justice well and if the king didn't do that then he'd lose the respect you know people are like, oh yeah or someone else yeah or someone to kill him yeah. or kill you know so like cersei uh, homelander is focused on pleasing elizabeth shoe so he's in the plane and he's trying it because he wants right. to please elizabeth shoe because she wants to get that contract with the government which i just thought was a brilliant, very accurate, uh, probable situation that would happen in a, yeah. you know, in, in a situation like this. Um, I thought it was a little improbable that the government wouldn't be, wouldn't be a little bit more enthusiastic. I mean, can you imagine? It's like it, if America had all these superheroes, <laughs> like, like home, just Homelander alone, <laughs> right? I can't imagine any politician being like, nah. The problem – so in the graphic novel, they make it a little more obvious why it's why they haven't because essentially the government started the thing in the first place and they know all the data. And so they know just how difficult it would be to have soldiers that had these powers. How to, how to control them. Yeah. And anyway, so there, there's a lot more of that. There's a lot more of why the boys even got started in the first place because of that and blah, 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 blah. Right. But so – and, and the airplane, he is – he he's fo- solely focused on Elizabeth Show. So he's trying, he's trying to save the plane. He doesn't really care about the people. He cares <laughs> about Elizabeth Shue. Um, he fucks it up by using his lasers again and 
And then he's like, okay. He thinks about it for like three seconds and he's like, well, I'm not going to be able to save all these people. And basically, because the thing is, is anyone who dies on this plane is his fault because the, the, aside from the one or two people who died from the terrorists, the terrorists, it wasn't clear that they were going to kill everyone on the plane. Like from the TV show. I see. Okay. It was a hijacked plane. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because this wasn't 9-11 in the show. That's true. Right. Yeah. So we don't know. Right. It, it, it's not like, well, we did everything when we saved half the plane because uh, they were going to – it wasn't clear. So right, right. It, if anyone dies, it's his fault. So if he saves half the – even if he manages to save half the plane, those other half people might have died because he fucked up. Right. Which gets Elizabeth Shue to dislike him for yeah, various yeah. different reasons. And so – he very quickly says, oh, they all have to die because yeah. they're all witnesses to the <laughs> fact that I just fucked this up. Yeah. So, so he you know, and Queen Maeve, for whatever reason, has just more of a heart about this sort of thing and has a hard time. It's just a, just a wonderful scene the way well, it, was, it was portrayed. Right. And I wonder – because you know how some of them like Starlight were still uh, given the stuff as, as a baby, but they weren't taken into a lab the whole time. Right. So I wonder if Queen Maeve had less – you know, maybe uh, attachment disorders and stuff. Right. But but I will say um, I had a misremembered because it had been a while. So I went back and reread some and, and rechecked the, the comic book. The The plane scene is actually pretty consistent other than the fact that it was a more – it was 9-11 related and the whole team was involved. But it still was two things. Homelander was still trying to make it work somehow. So he wasn't like, ha, 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 I'm going to kill everyone here, which – Kind of misremembered that. No, he was trying to save them, but not from the, I'm a superhero. I must save these people. But as you say, well, I'm a Vought employee. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And then when it was clear that everything got messed up, there's all these moments where it's just, it's terrible mess ups. Then, then that's when he's like, all right, I'm out of, I'm out of here, <laughs> right? And uh, Queen Mob is in fact trying to be like, but we got to, it's like, no, we got to go. Interesting. <laughs> And so it's very – it's actually that, – that part is very consistent. And you, to your point, he's not simply like, ooh, since I'm a psychopath, I can watch all these people die. Right. And I think that that's this mistake that people make when they're watching things like this, that yeah. it's – which denies the brilliance of the writing and the characters that – Oh, I was just psychopath. You know, oh, like the tagline for a lot of people is, "Oh, watch the boys." You know, Superman. He's a psychopath. He does all these horrible things. It's right, like, right, it's right, like right. no, 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 no. Like <laughs> he has massive attachment issues. He's right. a he's a four year old in a superhero's body. He's desperate for Elizabeth Shue's love. Who Elizabeth Shue's character, for good reason, isn't really available emotionally for him. Yeah. And so he's desperate. If she would have just. If she, if he if he would have moved into her house and got a crib next to the baby, he probably would have been a better person in a lot of ways. Right. But because when you give people the love and security that they need, then they're not desperate anymore. Yeah. But the part of it that I also loved was uh, that the accuracy, because being from Seattle and having so many family members who work for Boeing – and just knowing things about physics, because mm-hmm. I've actually gone to Boeing as a kid when my dad would take me and I'd watch like them constructing the planes and they would show like what the walls were made out of. And they're made out of in an airplane, not to scare everyone, but they're made out of this extremely light 
honey, yeah. honeycomb aluminum. Right. It's got to fly, right? It can't that, weigh. Yeah. You could probably crush it with like a hammer if you wanted to, um, if you hit it in a certain angle. But given the way that these airplanes are constructed, it never, it never incurs that kind of force. Right. But anyway, airplanes are extremely fragile when they're not used the way that they're supposed to be used. One of the ways they're not supposed to be used is with a single point of force placed on the side of the fuselage. Yeah. They are meant to land on their landing gear. They're meant to fly in the air. They're meant to, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, take off and stuff. And the, and the, the jet engines are, there's, there's support for the jet engines to uh, be, you know, connected to the plane instead of right. ripped off. But you put a single, you know, hand that has enough force to be able to push back on the plane, your hand is going to go through Whoosh. it like like butter. <laughs> right. It just go. It just go. Honk. Um. So, in the same way that if you take a gun, for example, like a car, take a gun, just a regular handgun, and shoot the door. Well, the bullet goes right through. Right. Now the the door is very strong. You, you know, if for what it's designed for, when you're sitting as a passenger and you bump up against, you don't go flying out. If you're leaning up against the car as a human being. Or if you bump up against it with a bag, the b- bag doesn't go, f- doesn't just yes. annihilate. But if you put a tiny, a, you put all that force in a tiny spot, then it's it's like butter, it just goes straight through. Right. And Superman two or Superman Returns. I don't know if you remember this movie from I don't know. Yeah, yeah with uh, Kevin years ago. Spacey. Yeah, it was the beginning of the movie was just a scene where Superman is trying to save this plane. And the way that he saves it is the plane some, for some reason is going to crash in the middle of a baseball field during a, during a packed, you know, sold out baseball game. And Superman is trying to stop the plane. He's having a hard time. And so he goes to the nose of the plane with his hands and stops the plane. There's a little <laughs> bit of crumplage. They, yeah. sh- they show a little bit, of, but it's very slight. If he were to do that in real life, his body would we'll go, go through, would go right. straight through. He'd be in row 13 right. by the time he realized, oh, the, f- the nose of the... Pl- Imagine you take a 747 and just set it on top of like a... You know, a steel pole. What do you yeah. think is going to happen? You think the steel pole... You think it's going to just balance on... Just hold it. The, ba- yeah. the steel pole is going to go straight fucking through that thing. No, man. You're too pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, here, do this test. Put yourself, uh, like, put yourself with a pole, a, a little thin pole on your tummy and balance yourself that way. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Or a, uh, an indestructible, like a, the lead you put into a pencil, you know, yeah, and just a, like essentially like a, that small of a force, that 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 <laughs> amount of square inch, yeah, and that, but it's indestructible, and just try to balance yourself like on your sternum. It'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so so so, I loved that, but I wish they would have showed it a little bit better. But I don't think they had the budget for it or something. And anyway, yeah. he just says he's like, look. If I try to stop the plane, I, I, my hand's going to go right. He says something like, like I, I, "There's no nothing for me to support myself." Yeah, with. I'm going right. like, to like yeah. in the comic book. He rips off. He rips the si- through because he was trying. Like to your point, in his head, he's just going to hit the back of the plane so to, to angle it differently. But but hitting the back of the plane at at the speed he was going with his mass just ripped the whole thing off. Right, <laughs> right, which is accurate. 
And and so I just I just loved that. I mean, yeah. because there's so many superhero. Like I, again, I always say this. Just just one example of the many things I'm watching superhero movies and just going, oh my god, is when Tony Stark is in his <laughs> iron suit and he is he either lands. <laughs> there there are three things that happen to him that would turn him into a, a pile of goo. Right. One is when he lands. He is going at what looks to be like a thousand miles an hour <laughs> and comes to a complete stop by yeah. landing on a road. Right. As I always say, his his it, like the liquefied things that could liquefy on him would come oozing out of the boots. But, the but, but that's only if you don't do the superhero pose. If you do the yeah. superhero pose, it distributes the weight evenly. Yeah. Um, one, if when he takes off, he goes from <laughs> zero to 500 miles an hour yeah. in the span of one second. You put a human being in an F-16 right. and you you do something even 10% of that and, and the, person, <laughs> the person either passes out from their blood. Right. You know. The other situation is when he's hit with a force that shoots him across the highway. Right. Um, uh, newsflash. The force of the fist of Hulk hitting you, hitting the iron, uh, the iron suit. Okay, the iron suit, quote unquote, doesn't you know it doesn't penetrate, but all of that force goes directly <laughs> into, into the thing organs. behind that. If I take a uh, let's say a golf ball and I put it up against Umberto's head, and then I take a golf club, and this is sounding very violent, <laughs> and I. And I, I just hold the golf ball, and I take a golf club, and I swing, and I hit the golf ball. Well, okay, the, I'm not going to annihilate the golf ball. The golf ball is intact, but all that force is going to go to the next thing behind the golf ball, which is Umberto's head. Which but it's would a be, very hard head. Which would be the same thing as me <laughs> taking a golf club. So when Tony Stark lands on the ground, all of that force goes to the iron suit, which is strong, and then directly into the body, which would annihilate it. And so in this episode <laughs> of The Boys, Tonelander's like, look, um, if I try to stop this plane, like I'm going to shred it. Yeah, I can't do it. He's like, I can't do it. So um, Garth Ennis, uh, the writer, or Ennis, Ennis, he hates normal superhero stuff. So one of the reasons he wrote The Boys was actually kind of you know, getting at that, you know, just like pointing fun at just all the ridiculousness of superhero tropes. Um, so That's great. I, I like yeah. that. Um, and the, the one thing I will say is that it's possible if he would have grabbed one of the, the landing gear, if he somehow figured out how to access that, he could have ripped off, you know, the bottom door. The landing gear is is directly connected to the mainframe right. or, or the main structure of the entire plane. Right. And it, it has to be able to withstand. Right. So he could have yeah. grabbed onto that and tried. Yeah. And But then the thing he but, said. But, but it might have like flung out of control because the aerodynamics would have been really weird. And, well, it's, it's, the other thing he said is that. So in Superman case, in Superman's case, he seems to have some ability that is not physical in nature. It's got to be somewhat magical in a way because he's able to push against things with incredible forces, even in the vacuum of space. But what Homelander also pointed out is like, what am I pushing against? Like, in other words, he doesn't have flight abilities that have unlimited thrust capacity. He can fly himself and I guess carry him off and stuff, but he can't 
carry a jetliner. Oh, so he's not like <laughs> Superman in that way. Right. That's, he's strong, that's the but he's not. He is strong. He could probably lift the airplane. Yeah. But he can't fly. Uh, he can't pro- propel somehow whatever causes his flight ability. Yeah. Doesn't have that kind of thrust power. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Which is, which is interesting to think about because that's the thing. If, if Superman is, is in the middle of space and he has to move a spaceship, right? Well, there must be some magical thing that he's doing yeah. that causes that to be possible. <laughs> yeah, it's magic. Yeah. All right, let's take a break and let's go into our final thoughts about the psychology of the boys. The is- boys. All right, we're back from the break. If Homelander oh, was to, in, you know, talk on TV about joining the Patreon for Psychology in Seattle, how would, what would he say and or do? Am I being filmed here? Yeah, you're being filmed. Is it, is it on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it on? Hi. As many of you know, we are here to protect you, to serve you, to make you the real heroes. It, what is this light on my head? It, oh, is it still filming? Anyways, we want to ask you, for a donation, but it's not for us. It's so that we can really get this thing. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so the la- just going to my notes here, the show depicts in a very real and stark way sexual harassment. Something that an assault that you something that you wouldn't see in other shows, and it's very stark but exactly depicted i mean the it's like some people might watch and go like well that was a little over the top and it's like that shit happens annie goes first day at work she meets this guy and uh she's like this you know She's desperate. She wants to fit in, and, yep. and this guy's like, "Oh, you know, I know how to work this angle. I've done. I've been here before." Yep. And he pulls his pants down, takes out his junk, and starts rubbing himself. And that happens. And now in the show, you're like, "Whoa, over the top!" Or "Whoa, that was kind of shocking," or "That's kind of funny that the way they shot it because they, yeah. they show his ass," you know. And the fact is, is that shit happens. Harvey Weinstein alone, which is one of thousands of millions of people who have done this around the world, did exactly that. Yeah. He would get a, a young woman uh, who was trying to work her way up into the, you know, in show business or wherever, and he would just pull down his pants and whip out. And Bill Clinton, I think, did this uh, from accounts anyway. Yeah. Right. And it's it's an age old for whatever. It's like it's like. Sending dick pics. It's one of the things that people do that apparently they want to do. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that they they depicted that, um, I, I think, well. I think it's it's pretty shocking. You know, I guess if you haven't watched it, you, sh- you should watch out if you're right. triggered by such things. I One of the things that I wondered about it is in the TV show, it was just uh, The Deep the character of the deep, which is the Aquaman type character, and Annie went along with it because she didn't want to be rejected. 
but you get the sense that it, she can easily overpower the deep. In the graphic novel, like I said, it was Homelander, Black Noir, and A-Train. And A-Train in the comic is like a total asshole. You know, like It was the three of them. And Homelander alone could have easily obliterated Starlight. So in the comic book, she still actually goes along with it, quote-unquote, voluntarily, which of course it isn't. And then she still ends up in the bathroom throwing up and all these things. But I thought I, – I was a little sad in a way because I was like, well – the way they they put it in the in the TV show, she could have said no to the deep and not been threatened with her life. But that's a very important point to make. I think to I don't, I'm sure they weren't really making that point. I think they were trying to make Homelander more likable. Yeah, because if that happened in the beginning, yeah, um, and I actually true. didn't true. like the fact that they were trying to make the deep more likable as as the season went on. Oh yeah, all his skill problems. <laughs> yeah, and him because he got raped kind of too. Yeah, yeah, and him like with the. With the lobster and all that. Yeah, that was a little weird, right? Because it was like, oh, okay, I guess even rapists are raped too. Right, but I was like, no, no, I'm not going to forgive him for what he did in that first episode. So, but, but that is a more important point, which is that when people are sexually abused, raped, harassed, it is often not about physical power. It it can be for sure. It's about social power, yeah. and which is much more powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a a four and a half foot tall woman can sexually harass a six foot five, two hundred fifty pound man. Uh, can can domestically abuse someone like that. It happens frequently. It's not a matter yeah. of, of physical power. It, That's it, a great it, point. It's, it's a factor, but didn't she really. actually punch him first or something? Or did, didn't she do something? Because then he was like, "Well, I'll just say you attacked me, or whatever." No, well, he, she used, she sort of built her powers up. Oh, and something like the TV destroyed. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. So actually, that that is an excellent point. And now I see, and I agree with you. That's even more effective, whether however intentional it was or not. Because you're right. In the graphic novel, the sense I got is like, well, she really had no choice physically. Here it's like she did, and yet it's still so unfortunately powerful, right. that social pressure. Right. Yeah. The Deep goes to therapy. Uh, was that therapist supposed to be working for Vought, or was that a legitimate? Cause the I th- don't know. Yeah, it was very brief, but it was that, just— None of that happens in the comic book. I don't know. It was just kind of funny, the scene, and yeah. it was terrible therapy, by the way. Uh, just tons of reassurance. Like I, It made me think like the therapist worked for Vought, and that— the therapist was just there to try to make the deep go back to the way he was. The, the deep in the comic, by the way, it, they're very different characters, like, and the storyline's not at all the same. But in the comic book, he wears, you know, those big metal hel- helmets with the round thing, like the old timey, like he wears something like that. And they're always making fun of him because of it, like everyone else. And the boys are always like, you know, because he comes out of the water and they're always like, what the hell? But he's actually the only good planner in the in the team. Yeah. It's, it's funny. <laughs> All right. So let's go to some of the things we liked and disliked about the TV show. Berto, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. I was afraid because, you know, I'm always afraid when uh, stuff comes out that is based on something I liked. Um, I will say The Boys is a, co- a comic that I liked, but it's not 
like it's not in my top five, but it is in my top ten kind of thing. Uh, I watched Preacher a little bit, which was another Garth Ennis story, and they made a TV show out of that one. And I actually didn't like what they did with that one because not only did they change it a lot, but it also was a lot more boring than the graphic novel was. I was afraid that this was going to happen with this one. When when the show started, that very first episode, I was like, oh, man, they're changing quite a few things. But they made it interesting in its own way, and they made it very – like, it was very well done. So in the end, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. There was only one key thing that is that the Butcher storyline is – they kind of ruined what they ended up doing in the comic book. Like, there's no way they can do what they did in the comic book now, based on how this season ended, uh, unless they completely cheat and it's like, what you saw is not real or whatever, you know. Um, and that's sad because I actually always felt Butcher was the main character. And but what'd you like about the TV show? Let's let's just okay. Enough about the comic. <laughs> enough about the comic. Uh, well, I loved Homelander. I. Loved Starlight. I loved both the character as well as her performance. Um, and I really liked the the guy that cast as Butcher. He's really cool. I liked most of his most of his scenes, most of his interactions. I thought the way it was shot was great. The scenes with Homelander kicking ass are awesome. Like it's just, I mean, it's it's dark because you don't like him, but he goes into that cell, the terrorist cell, and it's just like this is awesome. Um, and like you said, a lot of the psychology of it and the way they, they really try to present things in sort of a believable, realistic way, I, I really enjoyed. So I, I, I liked that for sure. Yeah, I thought it was funny. There's a lot of funny moments. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the, the acting is great, the directing, the writing. I really believed the Huey-Annie relationship progression through this season. I thought they were great performance by the two of them. They have these little facial expressions that they would insert into their, that illuminated what they were thinking about that I thought was really great. I really believed Butcher's pain and his anger. I really believed the Homelander relationship with Elizabeth Shue. I thought that the two of them masterfully acted and again, written and directed in this way that you really just, cause there's so many cheesy things that they could have done with, with the acting and with the performance and the writing. And I thought it, it, it was very just masterfully done. Yeah. I, th- I find that it was an interesting. So the thing that I'm worried about is like people will look at the boys. One, it's a weird title. It's like, what is that? The boys. Yeah. The second thing is, is that, oh, it's another superhero, stupid thing. I think that the boys in some ways might ruin uh, uh, Marvel movies for me in the same way. Like what, if I look at the boys and I look at into the spider verse, I feel like, I might not ever enjoy Marvel <laughs> movies, even somewhat. You know, I, th- I feel like they've they've got to be so good in the future, or the DC movies for sure, because that they were frequent, sure. frequently terrible. Um, I mean, not terrible, but just not great. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Aquaman was terrible, uh, you know. But anyway, uh, because like when. Battlestar Galactica, the reboot came out 10, 15 years ago. That, to some extent, ruined Star Trek for me. I see. Next Generation. Because it it was such a leap forward in what you can do with this form. It's like, I'm guessing, for, for some people, like, when they watch 
movies like or TV shows like The Walking Dead, it might kind of ruin some your, other your traditional zombie movies, right? right you know, right. where it's like, oh, it, well, like Twenty Eight Days Later did that, right? In a way, right? It's like, oh, zombies can run. Yeah. Oh, it's all over, <laughs> right? Like you can't really watch sixty zombies movies uh, anymore and and enjoy it the way that because of what Twenty Eight Days Later sort of did, and so. I just feel like The Boys is a wonderful show that is within a very silly genre, which is which is super superhero. But I think it's so much deeper than that. And I, I on some level, I'm worried it's not going to get the attention it needs. But on another level, I'm I'm kind of glad it won't. Maybe because it's like The Tick is another Amazon show. Did you have you seen it? Not the new Tick. No, I, I used to watch the old Tick. But it's great. I mean, the old Tick was great too. But the new one is is similar in that it's these short little episodes, uh-huh. and uh, well done, and just great performances, great writing, and and I, no one's talking about the Tick, but but I love it, kind of a thing. And and so it's similar with like Fleabag, for example. Right. I, I love that show, and I I want it to stay small because I. Like I've talked about, I loved Game of Thrones, the books. When the TV show came out, I was like very pleasantly surprised. And for the first few seasons, no one was watching the show. No one knew about the books. Something happened around season three or four or something. And it just, and it just never stopped growing in intensity. And then, and then by the time you get to seasons uh, eight or nine of the TV show, everyone's like, you know, shitting all over it like they were there from the beginning, you know, and it's just like, just go. It's similar to Star Wars. Sometimes I just want all the people, just go back to whatever top 40 bullshit you were watching before <laughs> and stay away from these, you know, wonderful products that, I, that I've, that i you know, I've had pros and cons about. It's not right. like I was eternally in love with it, but I just didn't like all these voices talking about my thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. And I, I don't think that, unfortunately, I think that's too late. Ship has sailed with the boys. It's a runaway success. It's super highly rated. Everyone is talking about it. But I don't know if many people are watching it. You know, like, I I don't know, man. All of a sudden, I went from, because I was on the other side, which was, I, you know, I heard the boys was coming out. I heard it was coming out. Heard it was coming out. All of a sudden, I didn't realize it came out. And, all over my feeds and everyone I talked to was like, oh my gosh, the boys, the boys. Like I had some, I had some boys over to my place one night for, we were going to watch bad movies and, you know, we didn't have anything good to watch. I was like, hey, do you guys want to watch the first episode of this new series? And they're like, sure. And I was thinking like, ah, man, I'm sure they're not going to like it, but I want to watch it. And so might as well. We, I, I was like, after the first episode was over, I'm like, okay, do you guys want to watch something else? They're like, well, why don't we keep watching this? We watched like the first five episodes in a row. Oh my god! Because they were so into it. And then I asked them, like, did you finish? I was like, yeah, dude, it's awesome. Then at work, a coworker is like, hey, uh, you know, hey, please stop reprinting the t-shirts for a second. I need to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Like, have you seen the boys? The boys is amazing. Blah blah. And none of them, none of them have read the comic book. So this is its own, its own phenomenon. Well, that's interesting. So I think, I think you're screwed. <laughs> All right. Another thing I loved about the show, which might get bad in the future, given that the budget of the show might skyrocket, given that the popularity is skyrocketing, is that they didn't have a lot of CGI fights and you know special power kinds of things. Yeah. It was pretty low key. And I liked that a lot I, because one of the things that I think really plagues the DC movies is they – they're minded 
They've got like one toe in directing, writing, acting, and they've got like nine other toes in how are we going to make this look cool? Yeah, in battles. And <laughs> it is not the direction to go in. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it you got to have nine toes in story and, you know, one toe in how to make things look cool. Um, you know, maybe two or three toes. But the point is, is that this show has, I mean, it's you'd be hard pressed to find, to think of many really heavy special effects scenes. Yeah, it's the mostly Homelander stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like you see the deep the Aquaman guy, he he dives into uh water. You we never see him underwater. Yeah. Right? There's never scenes of him talking to, you know, the dolphins <laughs> with Aquaman. Yeah, he just he refers to it. Uh there's no the the scene of when they're on the airplane. Right. And uh, the plane is going down. It's it's very practical effects. There's wind machines and debris yep. flying, and I just and there's just one there's this one little decision that sort of typifies the whole thing, which is that Homelander is holding his hand out to Maeve, and you know, and he's being nice. He's being he's like, it's voluntary. Don't go down with the plane. Come with me. And he's but he's like, let's go because he could have just grabbed her, but he's yeah. like, come with me. It's your choice. But we need to go. And Queen Maeve is, you know, it's like she's the kids are like, save us, take my daughter. This is hard. And you just see on her face, you know, her hair is whipping around. And, and she gives in and she goes to him. And the two of them just, and I get chills thinking about it, the two of them just kind of step off screen. Yeah. You, you don't see him jump out the Jumping plane. Out with you her. don't see the special effects right. of the, the cape flying in the wind. <laughs> the, the two of them, they just sort of step out. Yep. And. You don't. You don't even see him step out. You just see him step behind the bulkhead, yeah. and you just don't know. Well, they they just stepped out of the plane, right. and it's decisions like that where it's like, let's not make this about spectacle. Yeah, I wonder now that they're gonna get yeah. more money. But you're right, and but this is true so often, right? With Jaws, with everything we can think of, Star Wars, less budget is not necessarily a bad thing. The gore I liked and disliked. The one thing that I can say that I enjoyed about the gore, like the cunnilingus scene and translucent exploding mm-hmm. and Robin exploding for that matter. Yeah. You see like a jawbone like tumbling through the air with yeah. Robin, pretty gruesome, is that um, – well, let me ask you one question because this is one thing about the comics I was trying to actually figure out was – you know, in the TV show, she's one step out onto the street and he yeah. runs into her. In the comic books, they're like at a fair. Yeah, it's totally different. They're at a fair in uh, – he's Scottish. Don't get me started because like the Huey in the comic is completely different than the Huey in the show. The Huey in the show is not a complete nerd. I mean they try to make him that way, but uh, like – He's not, and he's he quickly is pretty cool and blah blah. In the but in, I don't think they're trying to make him a nerd though. In or the in the show. comic, he's pretty nerdy. He's yeah. he's balding. He's he he's Simon Pegg, and, and like yeah, he even, looks like Simon Pegg. He was designed explicitly like Simon Pegg. Oh. so the the artist had seen Simon Pegg in a TV show, and he really liked that look. And he's like, "Ooh, that's my Huey." And he so he made the the character look like him, probably from The Office. He probably or wait, uh, not The Office. He was, was in The Office. No, some some show in, in the UK. Well, then, when the comic books started getting kind of popular, uh, someone pointed out to Simon Pegg, is like, dude, 
someone made you into a character and then the the two eventually met and then Simon Pegg actually did the intro for the collected work the graphic novel uh but obviously he was too old to play the the character so they made him the dad the thing is that oh i didn't <laughs> realize yeah, that that's hilarious yeah yeah but the the Simon Pegg or sorry the Huey in the comic is this scottish super like neurotic I was like wondering why they made. Dude. I was wondering why they made Simon Pegg the dad because I'm like his accent was so bad. Right, right, right. And and then it was it just all, a, but it all makes sense. An homage. But anyways, but yes. Yeah, so they're in a fair. They're not in the street. They're just holding hands. The same thing. And A Train doesn't actually crash into her. A Train launches a villain he's after, and and the villain and he punches the villain so hard or whatever. He he launches him so fast that the villain's the one that. Cr- basically crashes through her, rips her off of his hands and smashes into a wall. So she's like all smashed into a wall and stuff like that. But A-Train technically caused it because he was, you know, speeding around trying to catch the guy and stuff like that. And do they have Compound V in the... They do, but Compound V is not only, in fact, how they created them, but it's not like this underground drug that they're trying to trade for performance enhancement. It does have side effects if you... There are some similarities, but the, one of the biggest changes is in the comic book, the boys have all b- taken this purified compound V so that they are super strong. Oh. And it makes sense because otherwise any one of the superheroes could immediately kill all of them. You know, it's kind of um, – so – and Frenchie, for example, is like this badass assassin – and the woman's like twice as lethal and stuff like that. So there's very diff- big differences like that. In some ways, it's great that they made them vulnerable humans in the show. Right. Um, as long as you don't think about it too hard because like the problem is that any one of the superheroes can kill them instantly. Yeah, yeah. there was only one point in the TV show when I noticed that. And that was when Homelander actually had the faces of those five guys. Uh, you know of the, yeah. of the boys, including when the girl. he got the little footage from yeah, which was kind of cheesy because it was like Mesmer had these like perfectly cropped pictures from of, his home security from his home security. I mean, yeah. if anyone's ever seen like a door, <laughs> it was a doorbell. It wasn't a right. home security. Oh, a, right, right, right. You know, if you've ever seen a ring thing, the it's not it doesn't look like that. Anyway, uh, the one point where I was like Homelander now knows who these people are. All he has to do is go to his assistants and say, who are these, what are the names of these people? And then he would just go and kill them. Like, there was this one point where I was like, so they're all dead, right? Right, right, right. (laughs) But you could, but they didn't, all they needed was some kind of scene where Homelander's like, uh, maybe I should, maybe I should like try to play this different, (laughs) I don't know. In the the comic book, what happens is, uh, the boys are an official CIA outfit. Right. They've been enhanced. Now, I, I would have hated that, by the way. I would have been like, oh, great. They're all superheroes. Well, sort of. but like, they, I, don't, I wouldn't worry about any but of the, them. But they were done specifically by the government because otherwise they can't control the superheroes. So it's like if you're going to have cops for But it would have been way worse, I think. And I heard about this difference. And I get why the comic book could be rad, too. Yeah. But one, I hate it when my lead characters are invincible. So Huey is just a regular guy, and I feel like that's very important, even Butcher and all of them, but mainly Huey. The second thing is, is if you believe that your main heroes, the, the boys, have the backing of the United States government, the CIA, I'm just less worried. Because like, okay, these, these guys die. Well, the CIA will just create five other guys, and they'll, they'll take – these are – 
very unique, very weak. They're Luke Skywalkers. They 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 could one small you know errant bullet and they're dead. I want that. I I hate all that. But they're Luke Skywalkers without the Force. That's the problem. The boys but in Luke the Skywalker, comic, one one blaster. And sure. One. So the the guy the boys in the comics, Homelander could still take all of them with one hand. Like they were not at Homelander's level, but they were at the. They were slightly better than the average level of the superheroes. So, and Frenchie was like sort of a a psycho killer. Like, and the 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 female the the Asian gal Kimiko Kimiko. She was. Anyways, my point is that there were all these amazing scenes. So I'm not saying they they needed to do the same exact story, but there were all these amazing scenes that were fun because. They could kick ass and take names, but they can't kick anyone's ass in this in this show. And I like that because uh, I can't kick anyone's ass. I certainly can't kick like anyone's. But think about like what, know, what, what did the Frenchie to, do? I want I want to relate. He's he's a he's a dedicated guy to Kimiko. He knows how to shoot guns. He has heart. This is the the origin of like good writing, you know. And this is why. Uh, We've drifted into this world where Spider-Man is bulletproof. Spider-Man was not bulletproof when I was a kid. Uh, that was not a thing. Spider-Man was a regular dude who could do awesome things <laughs> with webs, sure. and he had spidey sense, and he could climb walls. That was it. If he fell, he died. If he got shot, he died. If he went into space, he died. There was He was down to earth. Now... They just wave their hand and say nano robots, and oh, they solve. But, there's but there's your, no, you know, sure. even a person like Quill, for yeah. example, I don't really worry about because he can fight someone like uh, Thanos. Now, I enjoyed Infinity War a lot. I enjoyed Endgame, um, you know, fine. But I really like Infinity War. I, you know, I love. But I'm tired of these this drift towards comic book uh, trope, which is. To have characters that I'm like, well, I'm watching these two people fight, but you know they're all, they're both going to survive this. Well, so let me ask you to turn your question to yourself: What's special about the boys in this one? Because why the CIA could hurt. hire any five of them? They're damaged. They are sad. They're grieving. They're angry. They're How trying does that to make get... them good? Like, at, what, and it makes them good at what exactly? What is it that they're doing? They have heart. They yeah, have I, motivation. They can their... see. They can see the matrix. They see the fact that these superheroes are not what the corporations are putting forth. All right. So let's say that that comes out. Oh, man, they were creating kids. The superheroes still exist. Now what? What are the, they going to do about it? The corporation it? will still spin it so that the people will be brainwashed to sure. believing that they should back these superheroes. These five people, because of the pain they've been through, they are not susceptible to corporate and sure, and what media, are they going to do about it? They're trying to fight it. I guarantee you. If well, I guarantee you, they're going to have with, to take Compound V in the second season with their wit, with their uh, clear mind, with Nothing. their relationships with Annie, Annie and Huey. But none of that hurts these people. Look at what happened to Butcher. Oh, I know how to get to the Homelander. He cares about. Oh, really? How did that go? Maybe the story is not that they kill Homelander. Maybe the story is something different than that. Well, that's okay. But they still need it. Well, I know. And it's just two different things. Because, like, the, the purpose in the comic is very clear and not controversial. 
these superheroes are out of control. I am Mia culpa. We created Osama bin Laden. I get it. Well, now we need uh, our little set of undercover CIA dudes that are going to go and regulate when they get out of hand. Okay. So now we know. And what are the boys trying to do? Oh, they're, whenever the superhero is getting out of hand, they go and kick some ass. Except that there's some more shit to the story and then more stuff happens. Here, it's unclear. Well, what are they trying to do? Well, they're trying to get to Homelander. How? Well, what's, what are they trying to do? What's Jon Snow's superpower? What's Tyrion's superpower? Well, Jon Snow is apparently an amazing sword fighter. But anyone could kill him if, if you get five no, he, swordsmen. He, he, well, sure, but he never lost a one-on-one match. You know, and, he was, and Tyrion's smart, but he's not that smart. He makes mistakes. But he's Den- not going Daenerys, up against... Daenerys is, has but, dragons. But, but he's but, not going up against flying laser shooters. You know? He's just going up against other humans, right. mostly, mostly. Uh, and so that's the drift. Like, oh, well, if you have a Superman, your good guys have to be also Superman. And I don't think that's true. Well, And that's what's so beautiful about this show is that it's not like all the other bullshit shows out there. Your heroes can be regular people. It, it, they can until you, like, lift the cover and be like, Frodo hey, Baggins. Frodo Baggins is a little hobbit, a gentle little hobbit from a hole who decides to completely save – the land, and Look, he doesn't have a sword. That's he's not good with a sword. He he has a ring. No, no, no. That's not right. He was picked specifically because he was likely to be the least corruptible. Yeah. So he could another, good, another way because he's not it. interested in power. Right, right. Another way to think about it is the scene with A Train. How did they finally get him to not kill them? Because he could have zoomed. By the way, that's the other thing. A-Train clearly can just zoom through a person, especially when he's high on V. Why didn't he do that in the scene with Starlight and Huey? We don't know. But Well, I think because the, the writers are trying their best to make the characters like A-Train, like the Deep, like Homelander, not as psychopathic right. as the comic books. And I think A-Train actually has a conscience. Sure. I don't actually. Th- it's he un- murdered his girlfriend, but sure. It, but it's unclear if he was actually going to murder Huey in that moment. All he right, he so, was but, very sad in that moment. But certainly when he caught up with them and, and he's like, he has all the power. They can't do anything to him. They can't shoot a bullet at him. He can, he, if he needs to, he can at least knock them out. The only thing they could do to him is the female came up and, sla- and kicked his, his bones, broke his bones. Because she's got the compound. So case in point, number two what did they do? They just let him go? Why'd they let him go? Because they're good guys. But, but that's their plan? Sometimes kick them when they're down when and he, then let them go? When he wakes up, he'll join the team. <laughs> no. No. So I'm saying there's some holes there, and I, I think they're going to have to I take like some that. compound V in, in the no. second season. Oh, that would ruin it. They, they're going to have to, man, because what else are they going to do? A-Train is going to be on the fence... Annie is in the good team. Well, so they're going to gain superheroes. Fine. The deep might be on the fence. Well, but then so all you're saying is that they are going to take Compound V, but just not themselves. They're going to get recruits that have Compound V. Maybe. Oh, that's that's the same thing with more characters. (laughs) And it makes the characters that haven't taken the Compound V less interesting, less useful. I also liked that they clearly showed that people like Annie and Translucent have similar powers to Superman because like and and Queen Maeve like in the in the superhero movies yeah they never really clearly show that um, these are these people are invincible yeah 
they they give this impression like they're not invincible, and then they have these scenes where you're like, oh, so so Wonder Woman's invincible. Right. I, I I thought she was just a real snazzy woman, right? A warrior. Yeah, but oh, she's invincible. Um, but in this show, they just clear show no. Uh, Queen Maeve uh, stands in front of a, a a truck, and the truck disintegrates around her because yeah. she's she's invincible. Uh, translucent, it's clearly invincible from the outside, unless you put a bomb up his <laughs> butt, which I just thought was awesome. Um, Annie is extremely strong, and they show her training early, you know, before she became a seven that she she could she could punch bricks. She's maybe not as strong as Homelander, but she's. You know, her hands are very strong. Her body is strong. She's very strong. And I just like that it's like we're not going to toy with you and then retcon the situation. Like, oh, no, no, this person has had this power this whole time. And all those times you were worried about that a person in the past, yeah, you, you, your worry was misplaced. I just hated that, you know that sort of storytelling um and it's like they're they're superheroes just just tell us what their powers are up front now annie's superpowers are a little elusive but they pretty much got to it you know she uses light she she's strong she can blind people she can burn things she can manipulate electricity that kind of you know or somehow her power manipulates electricity or something anyway i also like the the superhero costumes because I'm from the 70s when superhero – in the 80s when superhero costumes were superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. They use primary colors. Now all the X-Men are in black. All the DC <laughs> characters are basically in some shade of black. Yeah. All the Marvel characters have some sort of super dark uh, look to them. Obviously, you know, the Hulk still has to be green, but it's not as fluorescent green as the Hulk <laughs> I grew up with. Right. And in, in, the, in the boys, uh, uh, you know, Homelander has the primary colors. Right. Uh, Annie Starlight has white and gold. And um, they're Nintendo characters. <laughs> yeah. And A Train has a blue outfit. And yeah. I just, I just, I thought that was great because I'm getting so tired. You know, Superman now wears like a black suit. Yeah. Essentially, it's like black with like <laughs> a hint of red in the, in the S. Yeah. You know what I mean? kind of crazy yeah it's gotten so dark um i like the 80s stuff like tj hooker on the television remington's did you watch tj hooker and remington steel i watched uh well I, I i watched both but definitely remington steel tj hooker less so yeah remington steel was like when that came out yeah. man i just loved that, that show so fun um in huey's room he had a tape organizer like my brother had where you this faux wood sort of shelf thing that you <laughs> would or this drawer thing um, and at the end, did you notice that the sprinkler syncs up with the beat of the song? No. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It starts up, you know, but- Butcher is on the ground. You, 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 this, you hear this, this sprinkler. And then, uh, and then this song comes in. That's subtle. It's sort of like a, an homage to um, Sleepwalker, Sleepwalking by Santo and Johnny. Oh, interesting. Um, or Donna by – anyway, things I didn't like. Um is in the last few minutes here is Huey's t-shirts. So Huey, and to your point of like, Huey's supposed to be this nerd. Yeah. In the TV show, I don't think they were trying to make him nerdy because like he had a friend who ran into him at the bar. And so I don't think he was nerdy. I just think he was just like an average Joe. But the thing that he talks about is like, 
you know, talking to Butcher, he's like, don't recruit me into this thing. Look, I, I'm, I, I got my top three bands are James Taylor, Simon and Garfunkel, and Billy Joel in that order. So he's clearly saying, I'm a softy. And I like soft. Vanilla softy. I like soft music. Yeah. But his T-shirts were the Ramones. Oh yeah. Two Nirvana shirts. That's true. A Van Halen shirt, and an AC/DC shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not quite what we're sold. We're sold a. Clearly, the costume <laughs> people are not talking <laughs> to the writing people. That's funny. The other thing that's driving me crazy about young people today. Uh, old man shakes fist at T-shirt, is that young people today are wearing what they believe to be cool band T-shirts, and they have no connection to that band. Oh, no. <laughs> now, when we were kids, if you wore... If I walked into school when I was, you know, 18 or 16, and I had a black flag shirt on because they were real popular, it was a popular symbol, mm-hmm. and someone came to me and said, oh, what's your favorite song? And I was like... What do you mean? They're like, well, you're wearing a black flag T-shirt. They're like, oh, I don't know. They would have wedged me out of the school. Now you have people like I, you know, especially a black flag T-shirt. I I had a student. Oh my god! I had a student who was wearing a a um, a uh, a uh, god damn it. a T-shirt, a shorts, uh, a Joy Division shirt. Oh, a Joy Division. Was it the? Oh, no, okay. Yeah, the yeah. mountains. The, the mountains, yeah. yeah. The little... Uh, Computer mountains. Yeah. And I looked at her, I was like, oh, Joy Division, cool. And she's like, huh? Like, oh, well, you know, you're wearing a Joy Division shirt. She's like, huh? Oh, this? Who's that? And I was oh. like, so she doesn't even know who they are. Okay. I had that at, at Disney, uh, not Disney, at Universal Studios recently. A dude was wearing, and I, I wasn't a kid. It was like, uh, I don't know yeah. how old, but a dude was wearing one of those. I'm like, love it. He's like, what? The t-shirt. Oh, okay. Right, because when we were kids, to, to, to wear a T-shirt of a band, you were saying something. I have a Rush T-shirt. You know, I have a Depeche Mode T-shirt. Yeah. I have a Anthrax or a Metallica. It's, it wasn't a random purchase. <laughs> it, it's not, yeah, you wouldn't just buy like, oh, I right. think it looks cool because you would be self-conscious about the fact that you don't <laughs> listen to that shit. You can only imagine wearing like a Tool T-shirt. Someone's like, oh, yeah, what's your song? And you're like, song? Oh, oh. Yeah, I just like the design, dude. <laughs> so either the costume department was way off kilt. I mean, he did have a Billy Joel t-shirt, t-shirt and a James Taylor t-shirt at some point, but most of the t-shirts were Nirvana's Van Halen, Van Halen, like an early ACDC, an early Van Halen t-shirt. Which, by the way, those two seem self-serving to the fact that he mentioned them, because in reality, no one owns a James Taylor t-shirt. <laughs> right. And so either either it was a mismatch for the costume department or it, it, they actually did this on purpose, which is young people today do this, yeah. which also bothers me. Now, in his room, he had a Billy Joel uh, poster, but he also had a Nashville pennant, a Tom Petty uh, poster, and a Ramones poster. Right. So it's like he mm. was saying things. He had no Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. You know, it's like... And the, so I just thought, like, that's just that sort of detail just drives me nuts. Like, yeah. people play willy nilly with music. And, like, for example, Annie was listening to Heart. Mm. Do we really think that 18 year old Annie today, because this is a movie about today. Yeah, is, is that what I was going to ask. Is that taking she even, place today? Yeah, yeah they have cell right. phones. Yeah. Do you think she 
knows who Heart is? Like, now, are 18-year-old girls listening to Heart? You know, maybe some. But on average, on average. On average. Just pick an 18-year-old. Especially if you're in, in a Christian right. community, you're probably listening to the different kind of music. It's, uh, Not that Heart is devil music or anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last couple of things I didn't like was the hero bar where they're all having sex. I thought that was really over the top and stupid. Um, <laughs> you will not like the comic book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, well, the comic, it's a different form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? uh, Carl Urban's accent, Butcher, his accent was awful. Even I knew that. He's from New Zealand, and he's trying to do a Cockney accent, and it's all the rage all over the internet. Everyone's just like, what accent is he trying? Like, <laughs> a lot of people think he's actually doing Australian. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, it was like, just make him from New Zealand. Yeah. Just give him... The, That's the, fair. It's like, just stop it. Just, if he, you're going to change all these other things... Why just, does he have to be Cockney? Yeah. I mean, you made Huey American. You made all the That's other ones true. American. That's why not? True. You know. Um, the other last thing I'll say is that whenever you have um, male-oriented shows, which The Boys basically is, um, whenever they want to quickly show that a couple's in love, like Butcher and his mm-hmm. wife... They always show them having wild, passionate, multi-position sex. Uh, <laughs> and I, 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 I challenge really? you. I challenge you to watch this. Okay. Any movie that's you know, if you're if it's a movie about like men going to war, and but you want to show that they have a soft side, like they have a wife or a girlfriend, and they're in mm-hmm. love. The very first, one of the very first things, or some sort of massive sexual overtone. Now, people have wild, passionate sex. People have sexual right. overtones. But, I've heard of this, but it's such a trope. It's like this. They okay. We've got we've got two minutes to show that this guy's in love mm-hmm. because we're going to show him losing this girl in the future, and we need it to be clear that they were in love. Well, it's a male oriented show. We have to show them having wild, passionate sex. Right. A female oriented show, they don't do that at all. <laughs> what they do is they show them maybe uh, playing with the kids together, or walking in the park, or he's down, or he's down on one knee, or. They're playful. They're they're food fighting at a picnic or something like female oriented tropes. And it's not like female movies don't have tropes, too, because they do. Oh, my God. You know, rom-coms versus male oriented shows. And I'm just like, come on, people. You can be more uh, imaginative. Interesting. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle, unless we talk in which we talk about the boys, maybe when season two comes up, which I can't wait for. We'll talk about that. What do you, and I'm sure the I'm writing will go even more <laughs> divergent from the comic books and Umberto and I will argue uh, even more fervently. <laughs> no, no, we won't. We never argue. We never argue. Please. Well, take yes, care. we do. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs>